1: Life has come to its winter for Sarai, not its fall, its winter, and she feels old at last. The princess has become an angry old maid.
0: That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, make sure that you call us at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888 888-244- 244 4673. Someone is there right now to take your prayer request and to pray with you. 888 244 HOPE. Today's Reaching Your Heart is the conclusion to The Princess Mother. Remember, you can find it online, the entire message, without interruption at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. And thanks for listening today. Here's our pastor teacher, Michael Longson Takeo, with the conclusion to this message.
1: In the story, Pharaoh calls Abram and lectures him on the virtues of basic honesty because he 's learned that she is the wife of a man. Imagine Sarai standing there as her husband receives a lecture from the King of Egypt who took her from him without a fight. imagine sarah 's feelings as she is given back to the man who was afraid to f- defend her when put to the test imagine sarah 's self esteem as she has surrendered to the man who's surrendered to his own fear she has to go back to him imagine sarai's sense of worth as she realizes that abram has become rich at her personal and emotional expense when sarai leaves egypt something inside of sarai leaves abram something in her goes away from him Sarai was not the liberated woman who leaves her husband because he has some fault of character. I mean, if you want a good reason for a divorce, she had one right there. She could have said, you know what, Abram, you and I have been in this thing for a long time. I now see you for who you are. Let me have my bags. I'm going back to Ur. You go to that promised land thing. You really are a bad dude, you know. She could have said something like that. She didn't. Sarai was the strong woman who loved her husband, encouraged him with love to grow in character and become a better man. In fact, Martin Luther once said that marriage is a school of character for husbands. Most husbands, and I can speak from my own experience, that we find ourselves on the self-centered side when we enter marriage. Through marriage, we learn to give. Through marriage, we learn to grow and sacrifice and put our wives first. In 1 Peter 3.1, this is what Peter said. Likewise, you wives, be submissive to your husbands, so that some, though they do not obey the word, may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, when they see your reverent and chaste behavior. Let not yours be the outward adorning with the braiding of hair, the decorating of gold, and wearing of fine clothing, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable jewel of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious, So once the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves and were submissive to their husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are now her children if you do right and let nothing terrify you. The apostle Peter is very clear in this passage. A gentle and submissive wife can win an unconverted husband to Jesus Christ. And when put to the test, Peter uses Sarah as the example of a virtuous woman who acted in the right way. I believe that Abram became a man of faith because his wife was a woman of faith first. When put to the test, Sarai is the person who passed with flying colors first, not Abram. Abram failed the first test. She did not. Peter describes her as a fearless woman who stuck it out with her husband in the face of Pharaoh's folly. He says, and you are now her children if you do what is right and let nothing terrify you. When Abram was afraid, she was not. She kept her composure. She got through that. She weathered the abuse. Women are hardwired to seek security. And sometimes that hard wiring can destabilize a marriage when a wife and a mother becomes unglued emotionally because the husband has let them down by not doing what he should do by providing the right security for the family. Abram was married to a lioness who did not allow the insecurities of her husband or the fear of an uncertain future to drive her away from God and to surrender that faith in God that allowed them to get through that difficult time. When Genesis 12 ends, Sarai is sitting on a camel... Plotting back to a very unpromising promised land with the man she loves in spite of his very seriously flawed character. The man who wouldn't stand up and fight for his wife in time. In time, patient time, loving time, learns to fight for the things that matter in life because of his wife. When the kings of Babylon invaded Palestine and kidnapped Abram's nephew Lot, Abram marshaled an army of 318 men. Suddenly, he's acting different than he was in the past. He marshaled this little band of men. He defeated the army. He saved Lot's wife and life and everything else. And he proved that he was capable of courage. I believed he learned the meaning of strength and courage from Sarai, who manifested it first in the presence of Pharaoh. When God comes to Abram again, he's even older than before. When his old fear begins to set in again, God speaks words of courage to his friend. Turn in your Bible to Genesis 15 1. Here's where the storyline gets dynamic. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Now, fear was the nature of his life. He had just defeated his enemies, he was strategically at risk, and God said, Don't be afraid. Verse 2, but Abram said, O Lord, what wilt thou give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And so he goes right to the thing that's been bugging him. I don't have children. You've made this promise. You've brought me out here, and I don't have any children. He's afraid of a future without a legacy. He's afraid of a place without little ones running around. He's afraid of someone who will take the place of the son he should have. Verse 3, and Abram said, Behold... Thou hast given me no offspring, and a slave born in my house will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Now, this is an amazing thing. The word of the Lord came to him. The Hebrew text indicates the word of the Lord came to him and said, This is the pre existent Christ as the living Word of God that came and spoke to Abram, just like John 1 in the beginning was the Word. The Word is speaking to him because the Word is Christ in his preexistent form. And behold, the Word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, So the Word of the Lord is a hymn. The Word of the Lord is the preexistent Christ. He said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your descendants be. I like Abram's response in verse 6. He didn't sit there and say, well, tell me the physics of how you're going to pull that off. What is the biology of how a miracle like this can happen? Explain to me how this can be. It just simply says he believed the Lord. And the Lord reckoned it to Abram as righteousness. Friend, this is the first time this happens in the Bible. When a man believes the Lord, it becomes prophetic of anyone else who believes the Lord ever after. You see, if we believe the Lord, it is reckoned to us. It is accounted to us legally, thought to us by the great judge of the universe, that we are righteous by virtue of our faith in God. Not our perfect faith, but our exercised faith. Mustard seed, though it be, it plants us in heaven's land. So up to this point, Abram is a man in motion trying to figure out God and kind of get through the whole thing. But when he believes in the face of the impossible challenge of faith, God declares in that seminal moment that Abram is a righteous man. He will become the father of all righteous people. You would think at this time that Abram is at last strong in faith. Yeah, here he is. He's arrived. God declares him to be righteous. you think that Sarah would be strong in faith too at this time. But the years have taken their toll on her. She's not the resilient beauty of the past anymore. Every Mother's Day, the woman named Princess, who's Sarai, is the woman who goes to her tent with no card, no flowers to put on the table because she has no children. Every Mother's Day, she was the woman who was congratulating everyone else, but no one can congratulate her for her child. And somehow she feels it all deep inside her broken and disappointed heart. It's my fault. I'm not a good wife. I let my husband down. I let God down. Why couldn't I pull this off? Why couldn't I be a fruitful wife? Pretty without children is ugly in the end. I feel ugly. When Abram runs to Sarai and tells her the good news, the good news of God's promise, she has a hard time accepting it with faith. She decides in the darkness of her fear and frustration and grief that it is time It is time to help God get His act together to make the promise happen. Have you ever done that? You know, God has told me I'd be doing this for Him. Now let me help God out. With weakened faith and with the use of her wits, her creativity, she fishes for an idea that came from the land of ancient Babylon. In the Code of Hammurabi, written between 1728 B.C. and 1686 B.C., This inscription, this legal inscription, was chiseled on a piece of black stone. It's called commandment number 144. If a man takes a priestess, and that priestess gives a female slave to her husband, and she have children, if that man set his face to take a concubine, they shall not favor that man. He may not take a concubine. Now look at the next one, commandment number 145. If a man takes a priestess, and she does not present him with children. That man may take a concubine. In other words, he can do it now. And bring her into his house. That concubine shall not rank with his wife. In other words, if you can't have children, you have to have this surrogate mother. She will never take the place of his wife. And that was considered a good, just law. So there was a legal provision in the land of Babylon for a barren woman to have a child. The law provided a way for a son to continue the family name born to a slave. And somehow it would work out. The law also provided a protection for the wife and her stay in the house so she would not be discarded with this shift and change. Sarai looked from the batch of maidservants taken from Egypt. She's thinking through the code of Hammurabi. And she picked a pretty one to take her place in the marriage bed. The name Hagar in Hebrew means the stranger or the foreigner. This legal idea from Babylon with the resources of Egypt, now found in Hagar, the stranger, the foreigner, springs into an action plan in the mind of Sarai as she springs it on Abram, pushing him forward to do this thing. Genesis 16, 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bore him no children. She had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar, and Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my maid... And it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Now look at this. I mean, who's she blaming in the text? What? Who has prevented her according to her own words? The Lord has prevented her. Some translations say Abram obeyed Sarai. Well, if the Lord did this, I better start following Sarai and doing what she says. Now God had just spoken to Abram. Sarai reveals two faith fallacies in her plan to work around God's inabilities. Faith fallacy number one, Sarai blames God for her problem. She says, the Lord has prevented me. She fails to recognize that her problem is really in her and Abram, that God, while he's God of the universe, can provide solutions, but he's not responsible for everything that happens to us in life. We live in a world where evil is taken over. Faith fallacy number two. Sarai devises a plan to fix what the Lord cannot fix because of his apparent weaknesses. The result becomes a royal mess. When the baby is born, Hagar seizes the opportunity to replace her mistress. Genesis 16.4. Go down your Bibles this verse. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, what does the text say? She what? She looked with contempt on her mistress. That's why that law of Hammurabi was written the way it was. So up to this point, Sarai has balded it all in. She has played the role of a good wife well. She's gone through this Pharaoh stuff. Now she's come to the end of her day. She hears this promise from God. And then it happens, you know, Hagar has the baby and it looks like she's going to be shoved aside and suddenly she explodes with anger in the face of Abram. She explodes at the man who put her on the spot in Egypt before a dirty old king and did nothing about it. She explodes at the man who failed to stand for her rights before Pharaoh's lustful eyes. And now this man has failed to protect her rights before Hagar, the Egyptian concubine. She is lost in the perfect storm of circumstances that she cannot control. Life has come to its winter for Sarai. Not its fall, it's winter. And she feels old at last. The princess has become an angry old maid. Verse 5, And Sarai said to Abraham, May the wrong done to me be done what? On you. I gave my maid to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. When a person starts over, and has a new beginning in the Bible very often God will rename that person. In Genesis 17:5 God changes Abram's name to Abraham which means the father of many nations. In Genesis 17:15 God changes the name of Sarah to Sarah. Sarah means my princess. Sarah means princess without the my. Why? Why would that shift occur in her name? Sarah's name change means that she is not the property of Abram anymore. She is God's property and God's princess. She's not just an asset to be controlled. She has independent dignity that is not linked to his self-interest, his success, or even the promise that God gave him or his blessings. Genesis 17:16. God says, "I Will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, kings of peoples shall come from her. Notice the her, 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 and nothing about Abram here. The promise is shifted from him to her. Verse 17 Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? I would like to have been in the room when that exchange was occurring between God and Abraham, wouldn't you? He was laughing at God. God just said, by the way, Abraham, I'm not going to do this because you're a great guy. I'm not going to do this because you pulled it all off right. Or even the promise I told you in Genesis 12. I'm going to do it because Sarah deserves it. I'm going to bless her for her sake. I'm changing your names.
0: Pastor Michael Oxentenka will be back in just a moment. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-funded program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. Call our toll free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888 244 HOPE. That's 888 244 4673. Here now, once again, Pastor Michael Oxen Tanko.
1: So when God changed her name in Hebrew, he removed the masculine Yod and replaced it with a feminine letter, Hey, in Hebrew. He made her more of a princess. According to the Kabbalah, the Hey with its birthing power was added to Avram's name from the letter Yod of Sarah to indicate that it was Sarah's merit which caused both of them to have children. He was to become more masculine. She was to become more feminine. God changed their names to make it so, preserving the right roles. In other words, Abraham was the problem, not Sarah. And God gave the promise to Sarah. She is the oasis for his old age, the focus of his future. Now that happened in creation. Go back to the Genesis story. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned? Was the promise made to the man or to the woman of seed? It was made to Eve in Genesis 3.15. For Adam to have life, he must embrace his wife as life. And so he named Eve life in the Hebrew tongue because the promise was given to her. So up to this point, Abram was the prophet. He was the focus of the story. But in Genesis 18, God appears to Abram and Sarah together. Three strangers suddenly stand at the door of the tent. Abraham quickly calls for Sarah to put together a last-minute feast for him and his guests. In a sweet feminine kind of way, she does it without complaining. She serves them with dignity. And after they are finished with the meal, Abraham discovers that they are not men at all. They are extraterrestrials, E.T., from a heavenly realm. Genesis 18 and verse 9. They said to him, where is Sarah your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you in the spring. The Hebrew is the time of life. And Sarah your wife shall have a son... And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Someone said that her beauty is gone. Her strength is gone. Her hope has surrendered to her faith in God in the years. And suddenly the Lord says, You shall have a son. And the silence is broken by a sudden outburst of uncontrolled laughter. She's almost 90. The woman who has lived a hard life and learned to love a man who grew rich in the role. As she grew older, the woman who felt like property, the woman who was discounted, it seemed, by God and everyone else, suddenly she hears God say that she, in her old age, will have a son at the time of life, the spring. Genesis eighteen thirteen. the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? And then verse 14, Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you in the spring, and Sarah will have a son. So he's reiterating the fact, I said it. Why is she laughing at me? Now, Abraham had laughed earlier. Suddenly embarrassed by God, Sarah runs for cover in a lie like Abraham used in Egypt. You know, they fill into that as a defense mechanism. Genesis 18, 15. Now, how many of you have ever wondered if God puts up with you as you grow? Have you ever wondered that? Now look at this. These are old people. Suddenly she slips into a lie and she's not telling the lie to her husband. She's telling the lie to God. Just 1815. But Sarah denied it saying, I did not laugh for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. That's how God interacted with a real sin. Friends, we need to lighten up a little bit. Now sin is an awful thing, but our God cares more about us than our little failures along the way. You hear me? So what happens to the barren woman who laughs at God because his promise is just too hard to come true. What happens to the princess who runs for cover in a lie because she's ashamed that she laughed at the promise that came from an impossible kind of crazy God who makes these kind of statements when how on earth could they happen? Genesis 21.1, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abram a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abram called the name of his son, who Sarah bore him, Isaac. Isaac. The Hebrew name Isaac literally means he laughs. Sarah understood the meaning of Isaac's name loud and clear. They had both laughed at God. And now they named him Laughter, as Michael Card says in his famous song, because he came after God had made an impossible promise come true. Genesis 21, 6. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abram and Sarah that they would suckle children, yet I have borne him a son in his own age. What does that mean? It means I'm young again. It means it's the time of life again. It means the script of my life has not been a tragic tale, but a wonderful outcome. The last laugh was not on Sarah. The last laugh is for Sarah. The last laugh was Sarah's laughs with Abram. In the plan of God, the barren one, the old princess, became the princess mother. She became the mother of us all through faith. She became the proof of the promise that God can take an impossible life filled with pain, grief, and awful circumstances and turn that life around and make it a flowerful, beautiful thing at the end of life. The latter years, full of joy and youth, she became the proof that God can come to you in the spring of life and start the seasons all over for you when you're old. Bob Dylan, in the Civil Rights era, wrote a song called Forever Young. Have you ever heard it? It's a hymn. He got the Nobel Prize in Literature, and that song stands out as perhaps one of the greatest achievements of his literary mind. I don't like everything he's done, but that song is a hymn. Forever Young. Forever Young. She discovers the music of being forever young. Hebrews 11, verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Friends, there may be trouble in your life. Maybe your children aren't where they need to be. And maybe you're struggling with not looking quite as pretty as you were when you were 16 or 17 And maybe you're wondering what God has for you, dear mothers of Zion. By faith, Sarah, the princess became the princess mother of us all. And the princess who was old became young again in heart. And she became the queen for her home, who held her baby at last in her arms. She was the princess mother for every person who has faith in Jesus. May we look to her as an example of what it means to be a godly mother in this place. And may we look to Sarah as an example of what it means to have faith in Jesus when things do not go the way you have scripted them in your own life. Mothers, I want to say happy Mother's Day to you. Can I end by saying that? May God bless you and keep you. May there be lots of love in your home. May your children respect and honor you. And may your husbands call you beautiful, maybe not 56 times a day, but enough to let you know that you are. But if for some reason that's not the case, listen to the voice of God. You are beautiful. You are wonderful in our midst. Thanks for listening today. That will conclude
0: The Princess Mother. Today's Reaching Your Heart. Remember, you can find the entire message without interruption at reachingyourheart.com. And thanks for listening today. Have you ever wondered what happens five minutes after death? Do you long for the assurance of eternal life? Is there a longing in your heart for something beyond this life? Dark Tunnels and Bright Lights by Mark Finley is the message of hope that you need. This book presents the real truth about life after death, and it is more amazing than you can imagine. Call for your copy today. Here's the information you need. The telephone number is 855-888-4673, 855-888-4673, 855-888-HOPE. Or you can go to the website reachingyourheart.com. Call for your copy today. The book is yours for a donation of any size. And remember that your donations help to keep this ministry on the air. And we thank you for your support. Please join us again next time for another edition of Reaching Your Heart.